Whether you drive a car, need a car, or just occasionally bum a ride with friends, you've come to the right place. Join the editors of Consumer Guide Automotive as they break down everything that's going on in the auto world. New car reviews, shopping tips, driving green, electric cars, classic cars, and plenty of great guests. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Here's your host, Tom Appel. All right, this is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thanks for joining us today. When you get a chance, check us out at consumerguide.com. If you're looking for a new car or crossover, you'll want to check out our 2020 Best Buy picks. If you're just looking for some fun, you'll want to skip to our blog because that is where the fun stuff is. With us, not in studio, but online today, is Jill Simonillo. She is the editor-in-chief of Auto Exotica magazine. Jill, how's it going today? Ah, it's going really well. Um, and, and I have to say that um, in honor of donuts, because there are no donuts, I'm right. actually wearing donut pants today. <laughs> now, now, are they made of donut or do, just have a donut print? They have a donut print. Okay. Photo to or be shared that, later. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He's... <laughs> I don't know what's going on. All right. He is the senior <laughs> editor here at Consumer Guide Automotive. He is president of the Midwest Automotive Media Association, and he's never watched a single episode of High Chaparral. He's Damon Bell. Damon, how's it going? Hello. I'm assuming High Chaparral is a Western? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's not you're, good. You're very well versed. It's okay. All right. It's not good. I know no. you're very well versed in the old TV Westerns. So. Yeah, yeah. The Big yeah. Valley, that's the one to watch. Okay. When Jill talked about when Jill talked about donut pants, I had a sudden vision. <laughs> you remember? You remember the Red Hot Chili Peppers? Yeah. And the bassist Flea. Yeah. I remember the Red Hot Chili Peppers Flea used to have a pair of pants that were all plush stuffed animals. Huh. I remember and that. Why real, do I real remember ones. That? It wasn't just a print. Uh, it's kind of a hard thing to forget, I guess. Yeah, I'm like I, I don't, don't see it too often, that, but you know. I'm sure we could Google and find pics, but anyway, that's what's in my head right now. Okay. Well, that, all right. So I think that helps the audience. Uh, after, after the first break, after our chat about about stuffed animal and donut pants, we're going to talk to Paul Strauss of Awesomer Media. Paul is the man behind not one but three excellent websites, all of which you, you should know about. We'll talk to Paul about his current projects, and we're going to get his take on what cheap gas means to the future of hybrid and electric vehicles. You won't want to miss that conversation. But first, Jill. Yes. Jill Simonillo, uh, yes. you have news for us. I do. I do have some news. And um you know, what's really interesting is you, you don't hear a lot about Mazda in the news lately and um, or ever, frankly. Um, but, you know, they, they actually made some interesting news last week where they're talking about um, the next gen Mazda 6. Or I guess I should say um, Car and Driver is talking about the next gen Mazda 6. They did an article on uh, vehicles you should wait for. And the Mazda 6 tops the list. Um, and in 2022, um, which is a rough estimate at this point because of things going on in the world. Um, the Mazda 6 purportedly is going to get its next generation with an inline six-cylinder engine and rear-wheel drive, um, which if anybody is familiar with the Mazda 6 right now, it's just, um, you know, like a midsize sedan that competes with the Camry. And uh, so, and, and Mazda has never had an inline six and they've never had rear-wheel drive. So um, I, I, I think this is big news and an interesting story. Yeah. Damon, you had something? Yeah. it's Well, Mazda has obviously had rear-wheel drive in the Miata and vehicles oh. like that. But, Hello. yeah, the uh, – the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, the, the interesting for a number of reasons, and we've talked about this before, as we see SUVs edge out traditional sedans as the – family vehicles of choice it seems like we're starting to see the sedans and regular passenger cars that are hanging on become yeah. a little bit more exotic a little bit sportier and that certainly mm -hmm. seems to be the case here and given mazda's reputation a well-earned reputation for uh that soul of a sports car 
uh, zoom, zoom uh, driving feel there. Mazdas always have a little bit of more of an athletic uh, driving character. The prospect of a rear wheel drive uh, sedan and possibly two door as well. It, it, that's one of the things that's also rumored is, is enticing indeed. And also enticing is that the top trim level or the, Top horsepower rating of this new inline six-cylinder engine could be 350 horsepower. Uh, so, very enticing if you're uh, if you want a driver's car. Uh, this next gener, this what could be the next generation Mazda six. Yeah, this yeah, rumor. I'm sorry, Joe. Um, this rumor is interesting for a couple of reasons. One, that the Mazda six is is a marketplace dud. Uh, mm. Mazda sold 26,000 Mazda 6s last year compared to Toyota's 350,000 Camrys. So anything they do to the vehicle at this point is probably good news. It's an excellent vehicle dynamically. I think you guys probably agree. It is fun to drive. It handles really well. It's nicely screwed together. The interior is very nice, but it lags in technology. Um, and, and, the, and the public is just generally not interested in this vehicle. So for Mazda to make this big, deep commitment to rear drive and new, unique powertrains has to mean that this is a foundation for a bunch of other stuff because they would not be investing this money in a single slow-selling vehicle. But, Jill, you had a point? Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of touched on it a little bit. But the, the interesting thing is, I mean, Mazda 6 always makes my list of vehicles that uh, people ignore. And, and, and it's yeah, one of those yeah. great vehicles that I think people should look at more often. And um, Mazda, for the past couple of years, has kind of been on a trend where they are going up market. And, and you know, they, they have started um, adding more premium touches. They're comparing themselves to things like Audi and um, BMW. I, I was on a preview for them where they, they literally the cars that they had you test the, the vehicle against were like it was the CX-5. And it was like the Audi Q3 and the BMW X1. So, uh, you know, they're really trying to go up market. And I think that with the real wheel drive and the inline six cylinder engine, this may actually push Mazda in the luxury category. So beyond near luxury into luxury. So, so I, it's interesting from that, too. Jill, do you think that apart from them being technically positioned to be a premium vehicle, do you think that they are positioned in the public's mind to go up market? Will will the general public accept a forty five thousand dollar Mazda six? You know that is going to be that's that that's the million dollar question, frankly, and, and and it's going to be tough because they really they they raise the prices with the Mazda three. And I haven't looked at sales to see how the Mazda 3 is doing, um, but I think people are still buying it. And so I think if they are, you know, if they had had like the previous generation, two generations ago, Mazda 3, and then tried to do what they're doing now and raise the price by like $5,000, I think people would be like, what the heck are you doing? But they're kind of doing it incrementally. Yeah. So I, I think that there's a you know really good chance, especially I mean they're, they're saying it's going to be based on the um, the Vision Coupe concept that they brought out. So if it looks anything remotely like that, which by the way it was stunning, um, they really have a chance I think for people to bite. Cool. Hey Damon, you had a thought? Yeah, just I wanted to expand on something that you touched on earlier. The other wrinkle. Uh, of the root of this rumor mill story is that Mazda and Toyota uh, are kind of strengthening their, their partnership and will, and, you know, development money, especially at a small company like Mazda is very tight. And so by teaming up with a much larger automaker like Toyota, that frees up Mazda to do more R and D work once they, you know, and in return share, the fruits of that labor with Toyota. And we've seen uh, a number of, of partnership vehicles between Mazda and Toyota, like uh, what was originally launched as the Scion uh, IA, I believe, and now is right. the Yaris sedan. Mm -hmm. And now they've done a Yaris hatchback as well. Those are literally just slightly restyled, rebadged Mazda 2s, which Mazda itself doesn't sell in the U.S. anymore. So there's a history of a partnership between these two and, the what the story is what the rumor is is that 
uh, Toyota will be using that this Mazda uh, six-cylinder engine is it will be developed with the idea of it being used in some Lexus vehicles as well. So mm -hmm. another interesting uh, wrinkle to the story. And yes, I have to also say too, I think Mazda styling is some of the the slickest and cleanest and nicest looking in the business. And even though the Mazda 6, the current gen Mazda 6 is one of the oldest vehicles in the midsize sedan segment, I still think it is probably the best looking vehicle yeah. in the segment. And some of those recent concept cars, if this next gen Mazda 6 looks like some of Mazda's recent uh, concept vehicles, especially with the long hood short deck proportions, that indicate that rear wheel drive layout, it's gonna be a knockout vehicle. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, that could be cool. We have to move on, but it's also worth noting that, that Toyota owns 5% of Mazda, and the two companies went in on a joint venture manufacturing facility uh, that opens next year in Alabama. So they are really joined at the hip these days. Mm -hmm. but, yeah. but Jill. Yes. Jill Simonillo, you are a working member of the automotive media, correct? Occasionally. Occasionally, <laughs> yes. and, and thus occasionally you find yourself in the seat of automotive test product. I do, in fact, uh, find myself in the seat of automotive test product. What, what have you driven recently? Uh, so one of my more recent test vehicles was the all-new 2021 Kia Seltos. Uh, so this is a vehicle from Kia. It's a small SUV or CUV, whichever terminology you prefer. And uh, it, it's built on the Kona platform, so from Hyundai. So it's, it's a, a sibling to the, the Hyundai CUV. And uh, all new for, for 2021. And an, an interesting small SUV. So the only thing smaller than the Seltos and the Kia lineup right now is the um, Soul. Um, and... I have to admit, my feelings about this car are kind of mixed. I really wanted to like it. I really loved the Kia Soul. But there's just some weirdness about this that I don't quite understand. So first off, if you look at the trims of the vehicle, they're not a linear addition. So usually you start with an LX and then you would build and every time you, you know, up level on the trim, it would increase the content but the way that this is set up is the lx which is the base model and i hope i don't get these wrong because i didn't write them down but the lx is the base model and then you go up to the sx which is front wheel drive so the lx is all wheel drive the sx is front wheel drive the lx has like, I don't think it has standard safety, but the SX does have standard safety. And, and so then you go to the EX, which then, um, you know, adds more content. So like push button, start, passive entry, that kind of stuff, um, and goes back to all wheel drive. And then you go, and there's two engines, and then you go to the up-level engine models. So you have the SX with the 1.6 liter engine, and you lose push button start. So you get <laughs> push button start in the EX, and then you go up and pay more and not you don't get the push button start anymore. So I mean there there were so that was one bit of weirdness. Um and the other bit of weirdness um I I saw was um with the engine horsepower, you know, this is you know, I was in the up level model with the 1.6 liter engine and um it didn't feel well powered to me. And I don't remember having mm. an issue with the the Kia or with the Hyundai um, the Hyundai Kona. And, and it just felt a little bit slow and sluggish to me. Um, well, so I did, I, I, I test feelings. drove the, uh, yeah, I test drove the, an SX turbo as well. Uh, -huh. uh, we had one through our office recently. It had the, yeah, the 1.6 turbo, mm -hmm. 175 horsepower. Mm -hmm. I thought it, it had adequate get up and go, but like the soul, uh, that 1.6 turbo in this engine, they, they pair it with a, uh, seven-speed dual-clutch uh, automated manual transmission, mm -hmm. uh, different type of automatic transmission. And it's just a little bit clunky at times and low speeds. Uh, it's something we've experienced with a number of different uh, dual-clutch yeah. uh, transmissions. Uh, so I noted that it wasn't quite as pronounced as it was in the, the Soul Turbo that mm -hmm. uh, I tested last year. Uh, Still something to definitely take note of on a test drive. But what it impressed me about the Seltos, 
um, appreciably bigger. Uh, it's a little bit, I can't remember if it's a wheelbase stretch or overall stretch, but there's appreciably more cargo space in the Seltos uh, than the Kona. Mm-hmm. And it, just, it allows you to squeeze that much more uh, gear into it. And uh, I thought the styling was really cool too, especially in the uh, star bright yellow uh, paint that our vehicle was was painted. And that's a extra cost option, but I think if I was buying one myself, I would cough up the extra three hundred forty five bucks. Yeah, yeah, the we- Celtics is, is is interesting. It's 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 about an inch longer in wheelbase, but almost six inches longer overall. Mm-hmm. Um, than the uh than the kona so it is very much a different vehicle it's also about two grand more in base price but my my general impression i didn't drive it that long was that it was relatively upscale and and a significantly different vehicle than the kona and and the hyundai kia relationship is very interesting in the u.s because they pretend to be completely separate companies and we know that they actually share platforms and technology and have a common owner but but if when you look at the small cars from these companies um, Hyundai just launched the Venue, which is tiny, and then they've got this, the uh, mm-hmm. the Kona, which is a little bit bigger. And then there's no match for those exactly over at Kia. Right. The Soul is yeah. a little bit bigger, a little bit higher, and a little boxier. And now the Seltos comes in as a somewhat premium, larger version of the uh, of the Kona. So it really works well in terms of, of consumer choice because you can go to Hyundai and Kona and check those back up or check those both out. Yeah, I mean, one of the the other um, interesting things you mentioned that the um, Seltos is uh, about two thousand. I think you said two thousand dollars more than the Kona, um, and pricing was another weirdness issue for me because the the test vehicle I was driving, which was Neptune Blue, by the way, which was also a gorgeous <laughs> paint color, um, and not and not extra. Um, it was in, you know included. So, um, but but. The vehicle I was driving was twenty six thousand dollars, so almost twenty seven thousand dollars when you add in the the dealer destination fees. And again, it used an actual key, not push button start, and it didn't have passive entry. So I just I thought for a twenty six thousand dollar vehicle, it should have had both of those things. I mean, you look at the Hyundai Venue, which tops out at twenty three thousand dollars, and it has those things. So I, I don't know. Pricing was also a diff, you know, a, a weird point for me. Hmm. I, I like how it drives. I like how it looks. Um, I think the interior fit and finish is really nice. Um, but, but like I said, it just there, there were those weird pain points for me that I, I, I'm having a hard time getting over. I, I hmm. my knee is a pain point for me, but, <laughs> but I think that. The pain point you discuss is probably a bigger deal for dealers who have to get people into the right vehicle than probably for consumers right. who, who will find something in a lot that works for them. But anyway, thank you for that. We've got to get moving on to our guest, Paul Strauss. Um, so stick around. After the break, we talk to Paul Strauss of Osmer Media about his thoughts on what cheap gas is going to do to the future of electric and hybrid vehicles. You do not want to miss that. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thanks for sticking around. Hey, do me a favor. Follow me on Twitter. I am car underscore guy underscore Tom on Twitter. I need 300,000 followers by Friday. I'm 195,000 short. You can help me out. All right. Our guest today is Paul Strauss. He is the driving force behind not one but three excellent websites, including the Awesomer, Technobob, and 95Octane. Uh, I don't think I'm being presumptuous now when I call Paul a friend of the show. Paul, how's it going? <laughs> hey, guys. It's, it's good. It's good. Uh, everybody's uh, safe and sound in, in their homes, hermetically sealed. Yes. <laughs> <Classic> bubbles. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Now, for you, that is a wife and a dog, correct? It is a wife and two dogs. Oh, yeah, and they're sealed up too. Yeah, we're all doing the boy in the plastic bubble thing. Uh, <laughs> hey, Paul, tell us a little bit about uh, Awesomer Media. So, Awesomer Media is a network of three websites. Uh, the Awesomer is our biggest website. It's a men's lifestyle and entertainment site. We cover everything from 
gadgets to movies to video games to design trends. It's a little bit of everything. Uh, and then we've got 95 Octane, which is our automotive website. Tagline is simply cars that don't suck. Um, and we <laughs> really, the, the whole objective of that site is not to be, you know, either just an enthusiast site or just a, you know, sort of consumer uh, uh, review kind of site, but just a place that anybody who's interested in vehicles and has some enthusiasm for, whether it's your daily driver or exotic sports car, we kind of cover it all as long as they don't suck. Um, and then uh, Technobob, Technobob is my oldest site. It's been around since 2006. I can't believe it. Um, but it's, it's wow. and that seems like a long time ago now. Uh, and it's really, it started out as a gadget site. And over the years as gadgets have become your iPhone and that's the gadget, uh, we've decided to sort of become more about um, just interest, strange and unusual things that geeks like. So everything from uh, art and art and design in the geek community to cosplay to uh, you know gaming stuff. It's a little bit of all those things. So that's the the universe in which uh, the sandbox in which I play. <laughs> well, well, Paul, it's a nice sandbox, and we. I was going to say that's a big sandbox. It. Yeah, yeah, very much so. So, Paul, you and I have seen the same thing, and I'm sure Jill and Damon have too. Gasoline is dirt cheap now. The the gas station that I pass every day on the way to work is now selling gas for a buck seventy nine, and that's usually a very expensive gas station. I know you have some thoughts on what this means in terms of the sale of hybrid, electric, and efficient vehicles in the aftermath of the shutdown. Yeah, so I, I've been out only a little bit uh, over the last few weeks, and. I, I've seen similar similar trends, you know, under two dollars a gallon here in the Chicago area, up in Wisconsin, it's down to under a dollar at some stations. Whoa. Crazy. Whoa. Um, yeah, especially, you know, regular fuel. So it's definitely uh, inexpensive. And, and with, you know, what oil prices, what they had futures trading at negative dollars the other day um, <laughs> because they have to figure out where to, where to store all this excess oil. So Ugh. oil is cheap. Gas is cheap. Nobody's buying it. Um, so, you know, when I, when I look at this, you know, historically, especially in the last, you know, 10 years or so, hybrid cars, especially people buy them because they're more fuel efficient, um, right. pure EV, better EVs, that kind of thing. I think there's more of a bent toward the eco-conscious aspect in those vehicles. Um, but when you get to the, the, the most popular ones, you know, the Prius and, and, uh, the hybrid variants of everything else that's on the market, I guess my big question and, and, and a worthwhile discussion is, do you guys think that the fact that fuel prices have dropped so dramatically and may stay soft for a while, do you think that that's going to have a dramatic impact on the mix of what people are buying? Do you think that they'll shift away from hybrids um, because you know fuel isn't a really expensive component anymore? Um, and, and it's going to be harder to justify the, the price increase, price differential in a hybrid versus a, a, a conventionally fueled car. Um, or do you think that it's going to be uh, people are going to stick to their uh, environmental guns and say, no, I still want a hybrid because it's a hybrid? That, that is a great question, Paul, and I've been thinking about this since I knew we were going to talk about this today. And I think there's a lot of interesting inputs to this conversation. One is that in the aftermath of a pandemic, we will probably see, and I've heard people suggest this, uh, less interest in, in ride hailing and public transportation. So mm -hmm. there may be interest in, in purchasing vehicles. On the other hand, this work from home thing is going to have proved to have worked pretty well for a lot of companies. And yep. we're probably going to see more people working from home in the aftermath of this as well. And what I think this all points to is a shift to less expensive vehicles and probably not hybrids and probably not electrics because the people buying the vehicles are the people who have to go to work and don't want to use public transportation. And those are probably lower end shoppers. That's the way I see it, but I could be crazy. No, I think that's a good point. I mean, when you look at the, the people who are, you know, sort of essential workers who are still in the field now, you know, grocery store workers, people working in kitchens and restaurants, they're not necessarily going to be going out there and buying the most expensive vehicles and they just need a practical way to get around. Um, so that's definitely a good point. We have some interesting hybrids out there. We have the Corolla hybrid, the CRV hybrid, and a couple of under vehicles that have just joined the fray. 
I, we'll see where those go. Those aren't very expensive. But Jill, you had a thought? Yeah, well, you know, I, I think that we can't necessarily have this conversation with also without also bringing up the fact that um, our current administration is relaxing the emission limits. Um, and so I think that that combined with the fact that, you know, the gas prices are plummeting and people may not be buying cars. I mean, I, I think that it's going to be a really interesting situation. And, I, you know, I have to say I agree with Tom that I'm not sure that the uh, electric and hybrid push will um, be, I don't think it'll continue gaining the momentum that it had before the pandemic. Yeah, one of the things that have been talked about, too, is, is something along the lines of cash for clunkers, too. Um, and, mm. and this is probably premature, but it would be some effort by the federal government to stimulate auto sales. Now, I don't know if the Trump administration would buy in on that, but that would probably not this time, especially because it is the Trump administration, necessarily um, award extra points for um, gas guzzlers or anything like that, nor reward the purchase of more efficient vehicles. It would probably be a general general stimulus for any vehicles at all. Um, so I don't know. I think that manufacturers are loath to give up the efforts they've made yeah. in terms of fuel economy gains, regardless of what the Trump administration does with the uh, um, the cafe regulations. But it, things may plateau for a while. Um, I don't know. Damon, any thoughts? I'm just re I'm just remembering. Do you guys I, I, I look at all this stuff. It, it's it's tough to parse out when you're in the middle of something. What's going to be just a flash in the pan situation and what's yeah. going to have longer lasting effects. And in, in thinking about all this, do you guys remember back, was it, what was it, about a decade ago? And I'm, I'm already a little foggy on it. And I was it predicated by the 2008 economic collapse where gas prices, there was a gas price spike, I want to say about a decade ago. And it seemed like uh, significant numbers of American consumers were losing their minds and getting rid of their... SUVs mm -hmm. and paying top dollar for uh, Geo Metros because they had three <laughs> cylinder engines. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, the, they were the, all of a sudden this uh, three cylinder economy hatchback that used to be worth a grand on a good day was selling for, you know, a, a, a 10, 15 year old used car selling for. Uh, premium money because people like, oh, well, gas is, is going to hit $4 a gallon. I need something economical. So I remember those kind of short-term panic trends. Mm -hmm. And again, like I think something that will probably be a longer lasting effect of this is, yeah, the ride sharing stuff. And that I think there's going to be uh, apprehension and nervousness that will linger a long time about how san your best uh, assurance that a vehicle is sanitary is if you are the only one driving it. So, yeah. and, and right. the people who maybe used to take public transportation, yeah, that are in those essential uh, jobs where they do need a vehicle, they can't telecommute, they can't work from home. Um, there, there probably will be things like the, the Hyundai accents and the, the Hyundai uh, venues, those cheap uh, affordable vehicles that you can realistically get into for uh, under $20,000 that have a warranty, that are reliable, that have at least a few creature comforts. I could envision those uh, once we kind of get our way out of this, those being the vehicles that people will be turning to moving forward. Yeah, Jill, you want to thought? Oh, no, I, I, you know, I was just kind of building on what Damon said. I think that the other thing that you have to consider is the fact that um, I can't remember what the, the numbers are up to now, but this is the largest unemployment um, period we've gone through since the recession in 2008. I think they said something like another like 4 million people declared unemployment in like the last week or something like that. I mean, the numbers are crazy big. And so I electric vehicles and hybrids typically come with a premium cost. And and so, you know, outside of the fact that gas prices are really low and, you know, the, the uh, emission standards are being relaxed, I think the other part of this equation is the fact that people don't have money 
people are not going to have money to spend um, on a premium vehicle. You know, maybe they want the the Prius or the Leaf or you know uh, something that will be more ecologically correct, but they can only afford. It, you know, if they want to buy new, something like the Hyundai Venue. Um, so, mm-hmm. it, you know, with the manual transmission at that, because that'll be under, you know, $18,000, but, um, or they're going to be going used. So I, I just, I think that there, it, it, there are just so many factors that go into this, but I, I just keep coming back to the fact that I, I don't know um, in the short term how electric vehicles will um, profit or, um, multiply. Yeah. Paul, you were going to say something? So, so I was going to say, I think that, you know, adding all these things up, the types of vehicles that we're going to see start to have the greatest success in this market after, after things start to lighten them back up, um, probably compact crossovers, hatchbacks, um, subcompact crossovers. I think it's interesting that Toyota announced that new uh, Yaris cross today. Mm-hmm. Um, don't know if it's going to come to the States, but I think there's a pretty good shot that it will. Um, and that sort of size satisfies, you know, it's going to be a less expensive vehicle. You can get a manual transmission version, that sort of thing. Um, and that'll uh, uh, still have the curb appeal that I think will still drive purchases. So despite the fact that people, mm-hmm. they want to save money and they want something that's going to be economical. I still think that people do buy with with their with their eyes a lot, and mm. so to have something that suits that. Well, I kind of want something high up off the ground, and I want something that is an SUV, but I can't necessarily go out and buy a fifty thousand dollar car. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if we see a pretty big trend toward those sort of vehicles. I, I, I agree with you, Paul. I think that one of the things that's misunderstood right now, even somewhat by the media, is that the subcompact crossover segment has not been nearly as hot as the compact crossover segment. Like the CRV, the Honda CRV wildly outsells this Honda's HRV, for example. Mm-hmm. But I think that in the aftermath of this, we might see huge demand for things like the Hyundai Venue, the Nissan Kicks. And this might be a great time for Chevrolet because they're about to launch the Trailblazer, which right. is their right larger subcompact crossover, although I think that's going to be slightly upscale. But, yeah, I think we're going to see a, a big shift um, in terms of where people are looking. And, and, Jill, your point about unemployment is interesting, too, because it is largely temporary unemployment, but how temporary, we don't know. Mm-hmm. The economy was in good condition before the layoffs. How good condition it's going to be in afterwards is interesting and difficult to know, because even when the gates open up and we're allowed to go back out, how many people are actually going to do that? And how many businesses are going to be closed? Right, right. And a lot of these people who are laid off are entry level workers who who are the ones we think are going to be buying these small vehicles. So this can all play out very strange. And and to Damon's point, this is a point in time and we don't know all the facts. So it'd be great to revisit this conversation in six months and then again in 12 months. But, Paul, you also wanted to talk a little bit about, um, and this is a great conversation, the merits and demerits of going out for a drive these days. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, this is something that I struggle with myself, is that, you know, we're all in, in many parts of the country supposed to be staying at home. You know, I think everybody should be staying at home for a little while longer. Uh, and so, but what does that mean? Does stay at home mean I'm going to lock myself in the house and never go anywhere? Or does it mean... You know, using your best judgment to do things that are smart and safe, you know, and so can I go get take a non-essential drive where I'm not going to the grocery store, I'm not going to the doctor, but I just need to clear my head from, you know, the cabin fever. Uh, I need to get out, you know, a lot of, you know, automotive enthusiasts are, I'm certain, missing their time behind the wheel, but then there are a lot of us are, are happy that we're not stuck in traffic. So, so I guess the, the, the question and discussion is, do you think that it's right to go out and take a take a, a joyride or a Sunday drive? And what do you think the pros and cons are of that? Um, you know, my, my personal opinion is that if you're avoiding situations that are dangerous or that could possibly, you know, extend the burden on, on health care or emergency essential workers, then it's okay. But if you're doing something that you wouldn't have normally done, you know, getting out there and driving 100 miles an hour up mm-hmm. the Kennedy, really bad idea. 
Um, and so, you know, what are your guys' thoughts on that? And, and, and how, are you, how have you been behaving since we went into the, the lockdown state? Yeah, that, that, that's an awesome question. And I confess that I've been going out for Sunday drives on Sunday, largely because I have test vehicles I want to drive and largely because I'm going crazy. Um, <laughs> and, and I live out in, in Palatine, which is a northwest suburb of Chicago, and I tend to head further northwest, which is rural, so I avoid a lot of traffic. But but to your point, Paul, I mean, if I have an accident, then I'm just become an unnecessary burden on a wildly overtaxed healthcare system. So even if I can somehow say that I'm working, I probably need to limit that just just out of you know some 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 obligation to to not becoming a burden on the system. Yeah, and I've I've been. Um... So I live in the city of Chicago and I have a grocery store that's about a half a mile from where I live. But I'll be honest, I've been going up to Northbrook to do my grocery shopping. And um, one is, you know, my husband is from Northbrook, so he has some familiarity up there with the grocery store. Um, and two, I, you know, I'm, I do drive test cars and I'm trying to put some miles on it. Um, so I, I do, uh, go out of my way a little bit to do some essential driving. Um, I also have been volunteering, which is essential. Um, so I, I get out a couple of times a week to do that. Um, but, but when I am out, I stay in the right lane. I try to move with the flow of traffic, uh, but not set the traffic speeds. And I'm also incredibly vigilant about maintaining safe distance and looking for an out. So really putting my defensive driving skills to use where like if I'm in the, in the, um, the right lane and, you know, I'm always thinking, okay, do I have enough berm if the person in front of me all of a sudden stops that I can pull off and avoid them? You know, is there anybody behind me in the middle lane so that I could pull over and avoid some people? So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm driving much more defensively now than I would because I, I don't want to put the burden on, on the healthcare. And, you know, as we talked about, I think last week, the, the 60 car pileup that we had on the Kennedy, I, I, we should be avoiding that stuff at all costs. And, you know, so I've just, I've, I've been going out, um, but I, I haven't been joyriding at all. Um, I, I've been going out for the essential things, even if I'm taking the long route um, and just driving very defensively and thinking about, um, you know, how not to do anything stupid. Yeah. Hey, Damon, you had a thought? Yeah, I'm basically in the same boat as as the rest of you. One thing that's a little different with me is I have uh, a second grader and a kindergartner at home. So mm -hmm. I'm now juggling uh, child care and, and education as well. So my uh, I still do uh, get out of the house and do driving of test vehicles. Uh, but that has to happen uh, after nine o'clock at night. So uh, I I. These days, it doesn't seem like there's that much difference in traffic. Uh, it seems like it's a, a steady uh, all day long and in, in very sparse. Uh, but I'm extra cautious at night just because that is probably the time when the uh, lead foots and uh, wannabe mm -hmm. street racers might uh, come out to play. Yeah. Uh, so I'm as same as Jill, just being extra vigilant, extra cautious as I uh, you know, put miles on in the evenings. Paul, have you been yeah, testing I mean, cars during the uh, shutdown? Sure. Yeah. So I haven't had a lot of vehicles. I only had one vehicle after the shutdown started. And then I have several coming in May now that things are starting to, to flow again. And, uh -huh. you know, so so in terms of my every day, I've been driving very little because I don't need to go anywhere. I've been relying on delivery services. You know, I've been living off of Instacart and Grubhub and uh, you know, keeping the house flush with the groceries and that sort of thing, um, and just getting in a lot of walking. So I haven't been driving that much, but I've taken a couple of, you know, sort of leisurely drives just to clear my head. And I, I do find myself being hyper aware of what other people are doing. You know, mm -hmm. not only, you know, if I've, I've got a convertible, I put the top down, I'm looking around and seeing if there's somebody three feet from the window of my car, mm -hmm. but I'm also... Um, you know, really just, you know, if I'm in any high speed situation like the highway, I'm, I'm extremely vigilant at this point about what I'm doing, just like you guys are talking about, like maintaining my distance, avoiding the left lane whenever I can, 
but the reality is like I was up on the Edens last week and I see like minivans going 90 miles an hour down the oh, middle yeah. lane. Like this is just, people have just lost their minds. These are not yeah. vehicles that should be driving at these speeds. They're not people who are skilled at driving them that way and they're driving them in traffic. So it's just yeah. like the worst case scenario. And then you, then you add a little bit of sleep to the ground and all season tires and <laughs> six car pile up happens. So, yeah. Um, yeah. but next, next month I've got three trucks in a row as the vehicles that I've got. And a couple of them are kind of off-road specials. So I'm hoping I can go find some place that I can go and, and, and drive those safely and really review them away from a crowd. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, my, my hope is that whenever I have a loaner vehicle, I'm able to, you know, give it the, the testing that is required to do a good story on it and, and, and give my readers what they're looking for, but also do it in a way that's safe and conscientious. And, you know, you have to avoid those situations where you could be, you know, compromising safety um, more yeah. so than ever. I mean, you always want to be safe and you don't want to drive like a maniac unless you're on a track. And even if you're on a track, it's not really a maniac. You're driving fast, but you're in a controlled environment. Um, right. A year. Um, so, you know, it, it, at, at this point, I think that it's it's safe to go out, but you have to do it in a much more diligent way than you've done in the past. And yeah. and to Damon's point, the traffic patterns are really different now too. You don't you don't have the normal afternoon rush and morning rush. You just have this sort of steady highway. Mm -hmm. Everybody's moving and they're trying to go fast. And they know there's not a lot, a lot of a law enforcement out there, or they don't think there's a lot of law enforcement out there. Um, so they're driving however they feel like. And, and so that's where you have to be really careful. So I'm, I'm doing my best to, to avoid the highways and take, take side streets and back roads and uh, uh, see a little bit more of the, the world anyhow that way. No. Paul, we are flat out of time, but we thank you for joining us today. What is the best way for the good folks listening to keep track of what you're doing over at Awesomer? Uh, so I would say just start with the awesomer.com and that's where you can find links to all of our different properties. You can see the latest and greatest. We post 18 different things a day on the site. So there's always something new there. And, and from there you can find your way to our social media and, and our other two sites. Awesome. Paul, thanks for joining us again. Again, I'm going to officially call you a friend of the show. <laughs> well, you guys are friends too. So I'm glad you guys are staying safe and, and keeping things moving. Thanks a lot. All right, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, I've got a brand new quiz for Damon and Jill. I know they're excited about it. You don't wanna miss that, we'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Hey, Jill. Yes. How can the kids follow you in Twitter land? Uh, in, in Twitter land, you can find me at Jill Simonello, all one word. So J-I-L-L-C-I-M as in Mary, I-N as in Nancy, I-L-L-O as in Oliver. Um, yep, yeah, all one word, Twitter, Instagram, pretty much any social media handle out there. I am Jill Simonello. Sounds good. Damon, how can the kids keep track of what you're up to? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Damon Bell Likes Cars. Sounds good. All right, kids, I have a quiz for you, and I think you're going to like it. All, All right. right. This week's All right. <laughs> you, might be, you might be right. You might be wrong. Yeah, I don't know. I need a fake enthusiasm applause button. All right. <laughs> this, week's, this week's Car Stuff Power Quiz is Base Prices. And this is how this works. Uh, I have five base prices. I'm going to give you two cars. You have to tell me which car that is the base price for. Are you ready? Does the base price include destination or not? Great question, Jill. It does. Okay. Hmm. All right. The first one is $37,205. Is that the base price of the Honda Accord Touring 2.0T or the Jeep Cherokee Trailhawk? This is cheapest possible base price. I think it's Jill first this week. All right, I Jill. I thought it was you, but all right. Um, is it? I'll, I'll go. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going first. Uh, tell me, uh, sorry, Tom, uh, the price again? That's all right. It's $37,205. Honda Accord Touring 2 liter or Jeep Cherokee Trailhawk? 
Oh, boy. I, I didn't hear the two liter before in the accord. Does, does, does the accord get that high? Um, I'm going to say the Cherokee. All right, Joe. I would also say the Cherokee. You're both wrong. Ooh. Uh, the Cherokee oh. Yeah, there's a Cherokee Trailhawk is 36,250. And now there's a Trailhawk Elite, which bumps that price up further. But all right, we go to question two. Wow, no so, score. Uh, go ahead, Dennis. I'm surprised that the, I, I didn't hear you that you said 2.0 liter on the Accord. So that's basically... That's what an Accord more or less maxes out at. I didn't think they got yeah. quite that expensive yet. Very interesting. That's all the Accord in the world. All right, $14,095. That's $14,095. Is that the Chevy Spark LS or the Kia Rio LX? Mm. This is Damon first. Or no, Jill no, first. That's me right? first. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to say Kia Rio. All right. Uh, I'll agree. No, it's the Spark. The Rio is not available with the manual. Oh man! We oh, that's what. That's the. Yeah. That's the. Yeah, the Rio is sixteen eight fifteen. Uh, so no score. Okay. This one's a good one. Thirty-three thousand one hundred and ninety dollars. Is that the base price of the Buick Envision One SV front-wheel drive, or the Ford Mustang EcoBoost Fastback six-speed? Both of those would be the cheapest versions of those cars you can buy. Mm. You, you've made these so close together here. Um, this one's not as close. Really? This, yeah. Uh, read the, read the, so 33 and something. Read the vehicles again. I'm sorry. Buick Envision, Ford Mustang. Uh, Mustangs get pretty exp but, but But what was the trim level of the Mustang? It's the cheapest possible Mustang. Cheapest possible. Oh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Envision. Jill, <laughs> that's what I was gonna say too. All right, no, you're both wrong. Um, <laughs> God, come on. The cheapest possible God, Mustang at thirty-three thousand dollars. I think the base you, price of the Mustang is like twenty-four, isn't it? You can do a Mustang now uh, out the door for twenty-seven eight sixty-five. Okay. All right. Um, $52,990. Uh, is that the Tesla Model Y long range all wheel drive or the Lexus GX 460? In both cases, that's the cheapest possible version of the car. Say again, it's the G 52,000 and you said GX or Model Y? 52,990 Tesla Model Y, Lexus GX 460. Uh, I'm going to go with Model Y. Uh, just to be interesting, I'll say the Lexus. Jill is correct. The model, Tesla Model Y long-range all-wheel drive is the cheapest Model Y you can buy now, $52,990. Not that it's actually available, but if it were. If it were. <laughs> that is the least expensive price. All Got right. It. Finally, $88,850. Okay. Lexus LS500 all-wheel drive, Porsche Panamera. Uh, it's me. I will, go ahead. I will say the, the Lexus. Um, I was going to say that too, but um, I will keep it interesting and say Panamera. 88850 is the base base price of the Porsche Panamera. Oh, come on. <laughs> I'm, look, I'm on track for another shutout here. You were shut out. You were shut out. That's that was it. All right. We have a bonus question. I'm going to go through it real quick. Uh, which is the fake Lexus? Are you ready? Uh, the GX430, the HS250H, the IS250C, or the LS600HL? Uh, I will say, or, or is, Jill, is it you first? Uh, could be. Um, I'll go with the last one, the Lexus whatever. LS600HL. Yeah. Yeah, I will I will go with that as well. No, that was actually the full name of the Lexus, the first Lexus LS hybrid. It was the <laughs> LS 600H L. No, the hmm. fake was the GX430. All right, uh, kids, we are almost out of time. But Damon, why don't you tell us a little bit about what's at the blog this week? 
Uh, yes. Yeah, so we have uh, another SUV heavy week in terms of uh, reviews. We've got uh, a write up of the 2020 Hyundai Santa Fe Limited uh, front wheel drive, not all wheel drive. Interesting differentiation there. Uh, we've got a review of the in 2020 Infiniti QX60 Lux, a three row uh, premium midsize SUV. Uh, and then an, an another and another premium midsize three-row SUV, the Acura MDX A Spec. Uh, the A Spec is a sportier uh, trim level of that. Uh, we've got a photo feature of an interesting old uh, semi truck tractor, a forty-eight GMC ACR seven twenty-three. Uh, looks to be a little bit earlier model of the kind of truck uh, in that Steven Spielberg movie Duel. It does, uh, yeah. That... Kind of Art Deco look. Uh, yeah, it's it, fun to see a restored old truck that that people take the time to uh, bring these old workhorses back to show condition. So we've got a nice photo feature on that that originally ran in Collectible Automobile magazine. Yeah, the paint uh, job a bit of awesome too. It it is cool. Yeah, kind of a, a green gray body with black fenders and red wheels. Really cool Art Deco grill. Um, some interesting news from the consumer guide side. Uh, we don't often do this, but we made uh, the sometimes a vehicle that comes out after we officially make our uh, best buy selections for a given model year impresses us enough that we elected to make it a mid-year edition. And that's what we did this year with the 2020 Hyundai Venue. Mm. Uh, the, we've talked about that a little bit earlier this episode, just the uh, front drive only subcompact SUV, just a really great value vehicle with a lot of personality and a surprising level of features for the money. So that is now uh, joining the Consumer Guide 2020 Best Buy list. Um, and then Tom always likes to uh, dredge up interesting uh, vintage advertising photos. And we've got a gallery article called Valor Madness. <laughs> <laughs> this, and, and this, uh, it doesn't, quite hit the same level but the this has got a lead photo of ricardo montalban in an 84 chrysler fifth avenue don't know that i would call it violently tufted velour but it's, it's aggressively tufted pillowy velour interior uh so that that's a, a fun gallery article of print advertising that features interior shots okay funny thing about that article that's our most popular article of the past two months <laughs> so, so people that, people want to see Ricardo Montalban sitting yeah. on velour. In velour. Yeah, never that's underestimate the power. Yeah, never underestimate the power of Ricardo. No, no, <laughs> I, I want to see pictures of Ricardo Montalban. Uh, but as on. you pointed out, as you pointed out, velour and not rich Corinthian leather. Right. So yeah. not the not the normal Ricardo Montalban uh, seating preference. Yeah, it's better to strange. look good than to feel good. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right, kids. We are flat out of time. What a weird week it's been. Uh, yes. Special thanks to Paul Strauss of Awesomer Media. Paul's a guy worth knowing. And check out his websites. Special thanks to uh, co-host Jill Simonello. Thank you. Special Special thanks, Damon Bell. Special thanks to the good folks at WCPT AM 820 in Chicago. They've been very helpful through this crisis, uh, as has producer Paul. Paul, you're the best. Uh, special thanks to Steve and Johnny, my radio mentors. They are awesome. My name is Tom Appel. I'm the publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thanks for joining us this week, and we will be back in seven days. Take care. Mm-hmm.